For those of you who have been coming to Sunday services to New Philly recently here at Hongdae service, um, Pastor Susie has been doing a three-week series on the res- restoration of the first love or restoring the first love that we have for God, right? And it's a wonderful series. I really, really highly recommend that if any of you have missed any one of them or, you know, if you haven't listened to any of them, please go back. Even if you did listen to it, please go back and listen to it again. I believe it is a crucial word, not only for New Philadelphia Church, but for all churches around the world at this very hour, I believe that God and the Holy Spirit is doing something very specific in regards to the area of restoring our first love to God. Um, and I was so blessed by that message, um, and I was like really convicted of man. I, I I think in some areas I possibly could have lost my first love as well. I'm not going to go on and on about the first love again. I think Pastor Susie really preached well in those three-week sermon series in a nutshell, explaining uh, like what, what it means to restore the first love, what it means to go back to God, how it looks like in our life, what we should respond to, and, and how it's going to pan out in the future. But today, I just want to share a brief word from a passage that has been really speaking to me. A very famous passage that I have been holding on to during these times. Um, And I'm pretty sure you guys will be very familiar with it too. So if you can, if you have your Bibles or whether on your phone apps, please open up to James chapter 1. I'll be reading from verse 2 to 4. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. It's almost at the very end of the Bible. All right. I will be reading once in the ESV version and then once in the NIV version. So you can follow along with whatever version that you have. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That was the ESV. Now let me read it to you in the NIV. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that is the word of God. Let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we could gather together as a church family to worship you together and to also hear uh, from your word together, God. I just pray at this time that our hearts are made ready, God, to receive the word that you have for us today. God, we just pray uh, that you would use me, your vessel, God, to really speak the word that you have for our entire church that it may permeate, God, within our individual lives and also as a corporate body. Lord, we bless you. May all these things glorify you, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a very famous passage, like I said, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure many of you know it. Um, I want to ask you, though, how many of you guys watched the movie or the animated movie Finding Nemo? Finding Nemo. Okay, I'm guessing almost everybody watched that movie. It was really, really famous. It was released like about, I don't know, like 15 years ago. Like, and very recently it was like, find. I know it's like a really long time, right? But Finding Nemo is such a cute 
animated film. Like I absolutely love the plot line. I love the plot line because it mainly follows this one fish who is a father of one son and this son gets lost all of a sudden and so he goes all swimming across the ocean he goes through all kinds of weird obstacles he meets all kinds of different sea animals and he finally lands and meets his son he really pursues after his son to bring him home back safe right and it centers around this clownfish by the name of marlin Now, Marlon, the reason why he so pursues after his son is because he lost his wife and the rest of his kids all in one day. And he's left with one son named Nemo. And he has a limp fin. And so, you know, being the father who's lost so many loved ones, right, is very overly protective of his son Nemo. And so he, one day, Nemo was being a little bit rebellious. And what happened was these people who were scuba diving captures Nemo and takes him away. And Marlon is like frantic. He's like freaking out. Oh my God, my son, I got to find him again. And the only clue that he has is this water goggle that this scuba diver drops in the middle of the ocean that says this address somewhere in Sydney, right? I think it's like P42 Wallaby Way, Sydney or something like that. <laughs> and uh, he, at first he doesn't, he isn't able to read it, but then Fortunately, he comes across this other fish called Dory, the very lovable, short-term memory lost Dory. And she is able to help him go to the location where his son is so that he can bring his son back home. Now, they come across all kinds of things. They sometimes go through like this trench and they come across cross like a swarm of jellyfish uh they meet like these surfer turtle dudes and like sharks that are apparently fasting from fish right like fish are friends not food right um and they come across all these situations and every single time marlin the father has a serious meltdown he's like oh my god i'm not gonna be able to find my son all these jellyfish we're gonna die all these sharks we're gonna die you know and he has all this meltdown and every single time dory is there to calm him down and she calms him down with this very simple phrase called just keep swimming right she says just keep swimming it's a really famous phrase from finding nemo right she actually sings it she's like just keep swimming just keep swimming just keep swimming swimming right and so with that phrase marlin is able to continue his journey and finding his son and bringing him back home safely now like marlin we probably most likely will and if if we haven't yet will in the future come across very unexpected situations like losing a family member I don't know, all kinds of different trials that were very unexpected. It came out of the blue. Marlon losing his entire family and then losing his son came all all of a sudden, very unexpectedly. And these trials come across our in our lives, right? Now, in this context, the Apostle James in this book is actually encouraging the readers of this letter to count it all joy or consider it pure joy when we come across trials such as this and now it's really important to notice that it's not if you meet trials it's when you meet trials meaning that the apostle james is very aware that it is inevitable that we're going to come across trials in life life is not easy there's going to be hardships we're going to come across obstacles we're going to come across stumbling blocks but when these situations happen in our lives he's saying count it all joy or consider it pure joy 
Now, I'm kind of frustrated when I read this, to be very, very honest, because when we come across trials of various kinds, I don't know what exactly trials mean to you guys, but it really sucks. The very last thing I want to do and respond is enjoy. I'm not going to come to a trial and be like, wow, trial, I have been waiting for you. Welcome into my life. You know, nobody's going to do that. Everybody is going to respond in anger or frustration. Nobody is going to welcome trial. But the apostle James says, no, you should take it with a very joyful heart. And if we further read through this passage, we get a sequence of reasons why we should consider trials as something that we could delight in. The very first reason is the very next line. It says, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the first reason is that these trials actually test our faith. And that is the reason why we need to consider it joy when we meet trials. Our faith is being tested when we face trials. Now, this is probably a term that we toss around a lot, just very easily. Oh, just count it joy because you're being tested in your faith. Your faith is being tested. Oh, I'm going through a hard time. Oh, your faith is being tested. But what does that really mean, right? When I think of faith, I don't know why I, I, I think of like... um Back in the day, any AOL or MSN messenger generations here? I think there's a lot. <laughs> and there's like this. Okay, for some of you who guys don't know, this is like an old school messenger service that we used to use on our PCs. And there's like this little line like where you can put in your status. And some people will kind of put in, like, you know, like quotes or different phrases and statuses. A very famous status that we would put in my generation, which was like the early 90s, I would say, early to mid 90s, was keep the faith. It's keep the, it's not the, it's like keep the faith, you know, like it was like really hip and cool if you put keep the faith. And it's like a phrase that we use many times. I don't know why that came to my mind, but it's like a phrase that we toss around. But when we actually take a look at it, the testing of our faith, what does that mean? When you have faith in something, that means you believe or rely on something, right? But when it becomes tested, the only way that it's going to be tested is when the something that we rely on or find comfort in is removed or shaken. When we are kind of leaning on something for comfort, leaning on something for belief, when that is taken away, our faith is being tested. So we will only know the measure of our faith when our faith is tested, when there are circumstances that arise that would test our faith or circumstances that would challenge the very thing that we put our comfort in or the thing that we rely on. So it's almost like test driving a car. I can present to you a really shiny sports car, right? And I can say, oh, this car is amazing. It's handmade in Italy. Is that a thing, right? A Ferrari is like handmade in Italy or something like that. Like the engine is this, this, and, you know, it can go from zero to this kilometers in this seconds. You're like, wow, it's really amazing, right? But we will never really know what that car is actually made out of until we take it out for a test drive. I can lay out all the specs for you, but you will really not know how amazing it is to ride that car, how it feels on the road until you take it out for a test drive. It's in a very similar way that our faith, Faith will find the measure of our faith only when it is tested and tried. Only when we are challenged in our faith will we know just how much faith we have in the very thing that we have faith in, right? 
the very example that I kind of see in the Bible, I know many times we refer to like the father of faith or Abraham and all these success stories. But I think a good example actually comes from the failure or the lack of faith in the Bible. Now, I just want to point to two instances that show like back to back, oh, how God is measuring or making aware of certain disciples and their faith in their journey. And it is in the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 is when Jesus takes some of his disciples out to the Sea of Galilee and they come across a storm, right? And what happens is Jesus takes a nap in the middle of the storm and his disciples are freaking out. They're like, oh my God, we're going to die. The winds are really strong. And then Jesus comes up and he's like, why are you guys making such a fuss? I am with you guys. Be at peace. Don't worry. Let me just read that passage for you really quickly. It says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Jesus, he. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. He points out that they are lacking faith. When it comes to Jesus being in the boat with them, they're lacking faith that they are going to be safe, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of all these winds, that they are not going to perish. He is pointing out, this is the measure of your faith. It is little. It's not that great. And he's pointing that out. Now, this is to all the disciples that were on the boat with him, right? If you read further down in the book of Matthew, if you reach chapter 14, a very similar scene comes up once again. Now, this is a very famous where Peter walks on the water with Jesus, right? It's in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33. And let me just read it to you. Um, Okay, let me skip through a few stuff because it's really long. And so when the evening came, he, Jesus, was there alone. He was on the mountain after he had sent his disciples to go to the Sea of Galilee. After they, you know, fed 5,000 with two loaves of bread and five, five loaves of bread and two fish. Um, and he said, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long way from land. So it was in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, which is right around 3 a.m., in the middle of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. Now, Peter makes a really bold move in this moment. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come, come on out. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand to take hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? I don't think Jesus is necessarily being like, Oh, you sucker, why do you have such little faith? I think he's merely pointing out, Like, I I guess it's twofold. Maybe it is, oh man, you're my disciple. You've been following me all this time, seeing all these miracles and wonders that I can do. 
Even right before this incident, Jesus actually gave power to his disciples to be able to heal people, lay hands on them. And they did miracles for themselves. But even in this moment, they're still doubting. And so probably a little bit of frustration is coming from Jesus. But I think ultimately what Jesus is doing, he's pointing out, this is your measure of faith. Because the trials that you see are overwhelming you, this is the measure of your faith. And we see this time and time again in the Bible. We know how much we actually trust God when we come against trials of various kinds in various areas of our lives. We will really never know how much we actually trust God to be our ultimate provider in all circumstances until our bank account is running real low, until we are laid off of our job, until we have lose our money all of a sudden, right? We will not know how much we actually believe in God's healing power until we come across some form of sickness, maybe for ourselves, maybe for a loved one, a dear friend, a family member. We won't know how much faith we have in Jesus able to heal our family member until that circumstances arise. We are confronted with our unbelief when we contend in prayer for a family member for their salvation. And we continue to pray for them over and over again to no avail. That is when our faith is being tested. And that is when the measure of our faith is actually revealed. We know the measure of our faith when trials come. And the apostle James is saying this is why you need to consider it joy because you finally get to see how much faith you have. You get to see how much faith you have within you in these certain areas of our lives. And it is not to discourage you because it comes to the second point. If you further read, it says that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. So ultimately, the trial leads to producing patience or steadfastness. It says that when our faith is being tested, we will become more patient. We will become steadfast in our walk with the Lord. Now, the Greek word here for patience or uh, steadfastness is hupomone. Everybody say hupomone. All right. Now, this comes from two words put in together. It's hupo and mone. Now, hupo means under, like when you're under something, right? And mone is like the root word of mona is meno and it means to stay to remain so if you put those two words together it means when there's pressure or you, you stay under you continue to stay under that's what it means right so the patience isn't just like oh i'm just going to wait until this passes by i'm just going to idly see how things go it's an active kind of endurance you continue to stay and remain under whatever trial that you're going through whatever that is pressing against you uh, that is what it means to have patience or to have steadfastness it kind of paints a picture of somebody who is under like this huge rock or something like that or I don't know, like a huge rock. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know that statue? I don't know who made the statue, but it has like the globe and it's like on the guy's shoulder or something like that. It reminds me of that statue. And I think this is exactly the word that depicts that is that statue. You are continuing to stay under that kind of a big load. Why would somebody stay under that big load? It's after your faith being tested and you go through trials and you see what your faith is made of, you get to see the strength that is within you. 
you get to see the strength that allows you to stay patient or steadfast or hupomone, to continue to stay and endure whatever trial that comes against you. It's a kind of patience that continues to, um, allows you to continue to pray for people, uh, pray for their healing, pray for breakthrough. It allows you to um, continue to keep going in this journey whenever it seems like everything is coming against you. It's that kind of endurance or resilience that builds within you. That's the word that hupomone actually means in this text. So it's like working out. If you think about working out, like if you're lifting weights at a gym, why would you put your body through that? To be really honest, right? We like, okay, clearly I don't really work out. I'm not very physically fit, but you know, when people go to the gym, they either do cardio and weightlifting, right? And so cardio, you just get on a treadmill or you get on a cycle, you go as fast as you can, you run out of breath, but you continue to push yourself to go further, to keep going, right? Or when you're lifting weights, you don't just stop at like 10 kilogram, like dumbbells or something like that. You continue to build the weight resistance as you work out. Why is that though? It's because we know it's leading somewhere. We know that it is building strength in certain areas. We know that it is not a waste for us to remain under that kind of pressure, to remain under that kind of a weight. It's leading somewhere. It is taking us somewhere. And so that's why when our faith is being tested and we see the measure of our faith, but we continue to be steadfast in that place of trial, it shows us the, the faith that is growing within us and the work that it is doing within our lives. This leads to the very final part, which is trials make you perfect and complete. So that is the three part sequence. First, it tests your faith and then it leads to producing patience after your test has been your faith has been tested. And then the final thing is that your trials make your faith perfect and complete. Now, James tells his readers, after the testing of your faith has produced patience, and when that patience has had its full effect, we will be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. When these trials continue to come our ways and our faith is being tested in every way, it builds within us this strength or this resilience to withstand these kind of trials so that no matter what kind of circumstance might come our way, we wouldn't be crushed under by it. We won't be knocked down by it. It won't break us apart. It would allow for us to continue to keep going on. These situations allow for us to see the strength that God is continuing to build within us, the muscle that God is building within us. And he is leading us to be perfect, complete, and lacking absolutely nothing. Charles Spurgeon is a very famous theologian and preacher. And he says it like this when it comes to trials. He says, I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt then, to feel the power of faith as I have felt it then, to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. What he's basically saying is he's 
these trials show us that it is not merely by our might that we are able to withstand these difficult circumstances, but it is how God is working in and through us that is allowing us to continue to go on, continue to press forward in this journey that we're walking, in this walk that we are walking with the Lord. He is showing us that by him who is in us is the strength that allows for us to continue to go on. He is showing us that he is the one who overcame and that he is with us. Therefore, we can continue to go on. Trials, it just proves the amazing and wonderful work that God is doing in and through our lives. And it shows that the work that God is doing is making us perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Just like Jesus Christ. It's showing that in him we have perfection. It's like as if God is a goldsmith. Now, I don't know if you guys know how gold, gold is purified. Um, back when goldsmiths would purify gold, what they would do is they would take lumps of gold and they would put it in intense heat. They would put it in intense heat for hours and hours. And what would happen is any imperfections or impurities that were within the gold, it kind of floats to the surface. And then the goldsmith would slowly like sift it out of the mixture. And they would cool it down for a little bit. And then they would put it back in these intense heat again until the imperfections rise again. And then they would take it out. They would do this process over and over and over again until the goldsmith actually leans into the mixture and he can see his reflection in the gold mixture. It's that process of purification. Now, intense heat, all these things pretty much sound like the trials that we go through life, right? So God being the goldsmith of our lives, put us through trials. He doesn't prevent us from hardships, but he puts us in these situations so that all the imperfections that are within us, whether that is doubt or whether that is fear or whether that is unbelief, whatever imperfection that should not be within us as God's children, as his church is rising to the surface so that what, so that God can take it away only leaving what is meant to be perfect, lacking absolutely nothing. I believe that God continues to do this process over and over again in our lives so that let's say one area we have lacking, we're lacking faith in provision. And then once we feel like we've overcome, we've grown in our faith and God providing for that, he goes to the next thing and, and, and tests us in our relationships, tests us in our endurance and interceding for people, tests us in how we endure this walk, even against persecution, whatever form that might be. And I believe that he goes through this process so that he wants to show us, look, you guys are made of gold and I am perfecting you guys. I'm showing that you guys lack absolutely nothing in me. I'm showing that you guys are made of gold. And I'm going to do this until I see the reflection of my son, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stop because I love you so much. And I think this is the very reason why the Apostle James tells us to count it all joy or to consider it pure joy when we come across trials of various kinds. It's to show us that these trials are never in vain. These trials are producing within us patience. It's testing our faith. It's leading us to become more like Christ. Now, earlier I mentioned the movie Finding Nemo, and I said that the very simple phrase of just keep swimming allowed for Marlin to complete the journey in finding his son, right? 
And I think it's so significant that the Apostle James actually began his letter with the phrase, counted joy. Because I think when somebody says, in the, at least within the Christian realm, if we tell you, counted joy, this verse will probably be the very first verse that will come to your mind. Counted joy when you come across trials of various kinds. Consider it pure joy when trials come your way. Because let's be honest, when our, well, our immediate reaction will never be joy. And so with this phrase, with this phrase that is so memorable, so easily memorized, counting it joy when we see trials, I think the Apostle James is encouraging us to remember that when hardships come our way, when challenges come our way, that we should respond in joy, not happiness. Happiness is very circumstantial, but joy, because we know what is set before us. We know where we are headed. We know the reward that is at the very end of the trial. So even though our immediate reaction might be grumbling, although it might be complaining, frustration, or anger, sometimes it might come as overwhelming sorrow. Sometimes it could be despair, or we could just be very apathetic we need to remind ourselves to count it all joy or to consider it pure joy that we are being tested, that we are facing these trials. I think individually, this is a message that we could really carry on for the rest of our lives because we know that until Jesus comes back or until we die and see Jesus face to face, this journey of perfecting us is probably not going to end I believe God loves each and every single one of us so much that he would not want to just stop at like, oh, okay, you're good enough. No, I think he's going to continually pursue your well-being, your completion, your perfection in the journey that you're walking. But I think also this applies to us corporately as a church. I know Pastor Susie last week, she kind of gave us the picture of what it's going to look like at the very end. Uh, she's been going through the book, the, the revelation and showing us in the end what's going to happen. And Jesus is coming back, right? And he's coming back for a church, his bride, who is lacking nothing, complete, perfect. And I believe that our church possibly might be going through these trials, not simply because we abandoned the first love, but because God loves us so much to leave us where we simply are, that he is allowing for us as a corporate body to face certain trials or face certain hardships so that he can take away all these imperfections. He can see what comes up, these idols or things that shouldn't be within the body of Christ so that he can remove it and take it away from us refining this church so that when Christ comes back, he will find us to be perfect, complete, and lacking absolutely nothing without blemish a bride that is totally worthy of the bridegroom, Jesus. I hope that me sharing this message, I hope that it really triggers a sense of hope within every single one of us. Um, you know, as a corporate body, we've been going through different transitions and very unexpected situations continually pop up. We were planning to, planning to move at the end of November, but it got scooted up and all these things happening. And in the midst of it, we can't be just simply frustrated. I believe that we are faced with these situations so that we are 
our, our, our level of faith is being shown and that we're completely being sanctified as a church in the midst of it. It is leading us to become a church that is very worthy in the eyes of God. And I hope that gives us all together this rise of hope that God is doing something within us, that God is not done with us, that he loves us very, very much. So my encouragement to you today is leave with that one very phrase, count it joy. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. Because when you face trials of many kinds, you know that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance or hupomone. And let hupomone finish its work so that you can be perfect, complete, and lacking absolutely nothing.